Then I saw in the right hand of him who had seated on a throne a scroll written within and on the back. The seal, uh, and it was sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, weep no more. Behold, the, la the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has, con has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people of God from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on earth. Then I looked. I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and then all is in them saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. And now, the word of the Lord. Thank you so much. Thank you, Jill. I know I'm not supposed to have favorites, but I think Jill just became my favorite reader of scripture of all time. <laughs> Thank you so much. If you have not met Jill, you need to meet her and be encouraged by her. She'll share with you something, something encouraging, something that she's learning, and then she'll just leave you laughing. She's just uh, been a, a friend to me ever since... Uh, I showed up here and showed me much more 
uh, respect than I certainly deserve. I, I, I don't, uh, but, you know, she has uh, been an encouragement to all of us. I'm so glad that we're all together this morning. I know lots of people are out of town or whatever, but I am so encouraged to have the first service and the second service and the kids with us, and, and um, I'm, I'm so blessed to see all of you here this morning. If you don't know me, my name is Matt Ortiz, one of the pastors here. And please do me a favor, introduce yourself to me after the service if we haven't met yet. Um, we're between series right now, and this morning uh, we're looking at Revelation chapter 5. And the book of Revelation was, was written by the Apostle John, and it can be a very difficult book, Right? Uh, in fact, I think Calvin wrote a commentary on every book of the Bible except for Revelation. Is that right, Dr. Cast? Yeah. When you look at the book of Revelation, it's so easy to get bogged down in all of the details and, and all of the layers. And, and there's so much symbolism and metaphor and word pictures. And we just read a, 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 just a, a bizarre but amazing vision that John had. Now, if that's not difficult enough, it happens to be incredibly popular lately to use world news and current events to interpret the book of Revelation, which is just reckless. Because the next thing you know, you have a series of you know, schlocky novels about the end times and cheesy movies starring Michael Seaver and Nicolas Cage. Now, there are many good authors who have done a lot of good work on the book of Revelation, and not two of them agree on everything on the book of Revelation. However, there's one particular author by the name of John Ortberg that has helped me read Revelation with John's pastoral heart in mind. So this message is based on, on, on his, his perspective, his work, and his wisdom because he helps me understand it and get to the heart of it as a pastor. Now, what Jill just so beautifully read for you all is one of the most breathtaking visions in the Bible. It is an inside look at the worship that goes on in the throne room of God. We're going to be looking at that because if we get worship, it has a powerful impact on a watching world. God is glorified, people are drawn to Christ, and we must, together, as brothers and sisters, as a church family, we must see that King Jesus is worthy of our worship. I'm gonna start with this from Ann Lotz, a section in her book on Revelation, and she says, what would it be like to be able to ask one question of people in the Bible and ask, was it worth it? And then she gives some examples. To ask Abraham, was it worth leaving your home, everything familiar, everything you loved, spend your whole life wandering as a stranger, all for a single child and an unfulfilled promise? Or to ask Moses, was it worth it to leave the treasures and pleasures of, of Egypt, a position of power and prestige? Was it worth carrying a whining people on your back through the desert for 40 years, only to end up dying 
before you ever made it to the promised land. Or to ask Jeremiah, was it worth it devoting your your one and only life to a preaching ministry that never seemed to make a dent, that never won a convert, never changed a life? And she goes on, what would it be like to ask Mary, was it worth it conceiving a son out of wedlock and and pouring your heart out in love only to have him grow up and say that the real members of his family are those that do his will and then in the end to stand by helplessly and watch the baby that you gave birth to die on a cross? Or what would it be like to ask the apostle John, was it worth it Spending your old age when you ought to be surrounded by your children and grandchildren, rotting in a Roman prison, chained to a hostile guard, stuck on an island. Was it worth it? Have you ever asked those kinds of questions? Like, is it worth it really to obey God when it seems to just cost you so much? Is it worth it to tell the truth when you know that a lie could get you out of some trouble? Is it worth it to persevere in a messed up family when, when, when you just want to run away from it all? Or as part of a church, you know, is it worth it to make financial sacrifices, to be generous when we, when we could just, you know, buy the stuff that we want? Or is it worth it to go on serving when you feel unappreciated? Is it worth it to gather with your church family after a week of work when we'd love to just stay home, watch movies, and eat pizza? Is it worth it to share the good news of the gospel of who Jesus is and what he's done with your friend when you know they may end up rejecting you after that? Is it worth it? Have you ever asked yourself those kinds of questions? And then there are, time, there are times when, when life is painful, life is filled with hurt and disappointments, and then under all of the questions, we find ourselves asking the, the bottom line question, is it all really worth it? Here's what I believe. Here's what I'm staking my whole life on. That one day, we all will stand together before the one that we've been serving, and he will look us in the eyes, and we will know. We will absolutely know. Every question, every doubt, every reservation, we will be absolutely blown away and we will know it that it was worth it for one reason. And not because it was easy, not because it was fun, not because it was convenient, not because people praised us, but because at the center of history stands a lamb that was slain and he is worthy. We will know. We will know that Jesus is worthy of every act of obedience ever offered to him. He is worthy of every temptation ever resisted, every song of worship ever sung, every tear of repentance ever shed, every drop of of blood ever shed by every martyr throughout history. He is worthy of my life. He is worthy of your life. He is worthy of this church's life. Jesus is worthy, and that is the vision that John gives us here in Revelation chapter 5. He is worthy. So John says at the beginning of this chapter, 
I saw a scroll. One of the great images in the book of Revelation, and he says it was sealed with seven seals. In John's day, this was like somebody's will, and we can think of it kind of as as God's will or deed to this world. And it contains God's judgment for all that has been, and then God's plans for all that will be. Wonderful things for some, frightening things for others. But it's God's plan to set the world right. Now, what this scroll means for you, what this scroll means for us, is that there is meaning and purpose behind this broken world, even though you can't see it very often. Like when you're asking, you know, why in the world is this happening to me? I mean, what's the point? Well, you need to know what we see here is that all of history, including your life, is a story, and your story has an author. And there is meaning and purpose to all of it. So, whoever holds the scroll has the authority to rule the earth and the ability to fulfill God's purpose for the entire human race, including you and your life. then we see this question in verse 2. Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? Who is worthy to rule the earth? Who is worthy to set things right and answer all of the whys? And the answer comes back in verse 3. No one. Now this right here, this right here is our pain. Throughout human history, we anoint kings and we elect presidents and we hope this time we'll get it right, this time peace will triumph, justice will triumph, but they don't. Or maybe we say, you know what, forget about the rest of the world, I'll just worry about me and I'll open my own scroll, but we can't. And it seems... Totally hopeless. And this is why John says in verse 4, and I began to weep loudly. John weeps for the entire human race. He, he weeps for the beauty of the world that could be but is not. He, he weeps for his own failure because he is not worthy. Now, if you have ever, ever wept because you didn't know why certain things were happening in your life, or you wept because you so badly wanted to make things right, but you couldn't, then you have wept the tears of John. But then in verse 5, one of the glorious elders speaks up and says to John, weep no more. Why does he say weep no more? Because, he says, there is one who is worthy. He says in all of the universe, there is one man who is able to hold authority and rule the earth. And John sees a lamb. And over and over and over again, the song is sung. He is worthy. He is worthy to redeem the world. He is worthy to rule it as king. If you're taking notes, 
I'm giving you three reasons why he is worthy that we see here in this passage. And the first one is this. Jesus is worthy because he was slain. We see this in verse 9. And he sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain. It's the same word John uses up in verse 6 when he says, Among the elders I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain. So wait a minute. Time out. He is worthy because he was slaughtered? Doesn't that sound a little weird? Well, he's using Old Testament uh, language here that was used to describe what happened to sacrificial animals who were born and bred to be slaughtered. So what was it that Jesus suffered that makes him worthy? Because let me tell you something. Jesus was not just another martyr. Other people have suffered physical torture for even longer periods of time than Jesus In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus tells his disciples, I am overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. The language that he uses here describes loathing or dread or or deeply distressed or horror like a nightmare. And Jesus begs his father, let this cup pass from me. Why? Why? What was this cup that Jesus is talking about? Well, it's not the cup of physical suffering. Because throughout his life, Jesus displayed a courage that amazed absolutely everybody. This cup is the cup of spiritual suffering, of bearing all of the sin of all of his his people uh, over all of the world throughout all of history. Think of a time in your life when you were filled with dread over your sin. I mean, you were sick over it. And and because of the convicting power of the Holy Spirit, you you saw it with blinding clarity. Do, Do you remember what that felt like? When you betrayed somebody that you love or you hurt someone with cutting words or, or, or when you lied or you stole or you abused somebody and it was revealed openly and you were in agony over it and you couldn't sleep at, at night because your head was spinning and you, you just felt nauseated like you, just, like you were just on the edge of throwing up. You finally crash out. You wake up in the morning and you don't think about it for five seconds and then it hits you and then you're sick all over again? Anything come to mind? Now multiply that one experience times thousands of other sins in our life, and then multiply that billions of times for all of the sin of all of God's people around the world throughout history, the guilt and the horror of every sin, deceit and gossip, every act of sexual abuse, the devastation of war, the the prejudice, the whole weight of human darkness. 
Imagine one person experiencing within himself the the indescribable nightmare of all of that guilt, of all of that remorse, as if he had done it all. Then, uh, imagine him experiencing not only separation from God, but experiencing the cup of God's wrath toward the sin that destroys people he loves. What Ezekiel calls the, the cup of ruin and desolation. And Ezekiel says to the human race, you will drink this cup of wrath and you will drain it dry But Jesus drank that cup of wrath for us. Imagine that burden falling on on one heart from all eternity, never once known the slightest shadow of guilt, or even a second of separation from the Father, let alone his wrath. Paul said, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, and that for our sake, he, God, made him, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin. Here's the point. Jesus drained the cup of the Father's wrath so that you could be totally free and never experience God's wrath. And he did that for you. God will, in his love, correct us from time to time to to graciously, you know, cut the sin out of our life, surgically remove the sin out of our life, and it can be painful for some, you know, sometimes, but it's for our good. And when it comes to his wrath, all we will ever know is the smile of God and his embrace, even in tragedy. Not one of us would have been able to endure God's wrath, but he did for you. And the elders and the angels see, you know, his amazing love, and they cry out, you are worthy because you were slain so that we could be set free. That is good news. Go on to the second reason Jesus is worthy. He's worthy because he bought us with his blood. Second half of verse 9 says this, that by your blood, you ransomed people for God. This is a major theme in the New Testament. Mark 10, 45 says that the lamb was worthy because he gave his life up for a, a, a ransom for many. And in John's day, people would have been very familiar with this whole idea of ransom. When someone who became a slave, a price was set, and theoretically, that slave could buy their freedom back, but a slave didn't have any real earning power. Somebody else might come along and pay the ransom for them, but that was so rare, it practically never happened. So slaves lived their whole life knowing that freedom was just a ransom price away, but they'd never be able to pay it. That they would live and die as slaves. On Thursday, uh, Shannon and I watched uh, the movie Schindler's List. It came out 25 years ago. It's crazy. Time flies. 
If you've seen the movie, you know it's about Oscar Schindler, played by Liam Neeson. He sees this whole race of people just headed for destruction, but he realizes that he could use his factory, he could use his money to buy human lives and save them from death. And in one scene, he's, he's got a group of men coming to his factory on one train, but the wives and the children were on another train headed for a death camp, and he knows it. So he goes to a German officer, and he pours out a small bag of diamonds, and he says, I want to buy those people, and he does. And he's done that over and over through, throughout the years. And when the war is over and the concentration camp is, is finally liberated, he is surrounded by hundreds of Jews that, that, that he saved. And, and then the thought hits him of all of those lives that were lost. And he just breaks down. And he says, I, I, I could have sold this, this nice car. I didn't need this nice car. I could have sold this ring. I could have bought one more life, maybe two. And the Bible says, whenever you see that, we see something of the heart of God. God says, I gave up everything I have to buy and save my people. Paul says, for you were bought with a price. Peter says, you know that you were ransomed, not with perishable things like silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Jesus Christ, like that of a lamb without defect or blemish. If you can believe this, he did this for you. And check this out. Not only did he ransom you, but look again at, at, at verse 9. It's one of the glorious hopes of the New Testament. By your blood you ransom people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom of priests to our God and they shall reign on the earth. No more Jew versus Greek. No more black versus white. No more America against Iran or any other of those countries on that long list. Every people, every language, every tribe, every nation. I, I'm part of a church planting uh, organization called Acts 29, and Acts 29 is planting churches all over, all over the world now. And, and every year, some of the church planters and their wives and, and sometimes their, their children, whoever can make it, will all gather together in one location for some rest and, and encouragement. And when it's time to worship and sing, it is absolutely powerful. People from all over the planet, hundreds and hundreds of us, just singing praises to Jesus, celebrating him and his kingdom, all united in Christ as one family. The word of God teaches us that we are not Americans first. We are not Mexicans first. We are not Canadians first. We're not what we are citizens of heaven first. Citizens of God's new city. 
And, and, and when his new city is complete in all of its fullness, we will finally be the family that, that God always intended us to be with every tribe and every language and every people and every nation. That is good news. And the elders and the angels see the Son of God, the Lamb, purchase sin-filled human beings at the price of his own blood to make us a kingdom of priests. Not a kingdom of serfs, not a kingdom of slaves, not a kingdom of peasants. That's not what it says. So great is the goodness of God that he wants to make us a kingdom of priests. And so the elders declare, you are worthy. You are worthy. And then third, last, Jesus is worthy because he conquered. Verse five, one of the elders said to me, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered. That word conquered right there is an important word throughout the book of Revelation. And when it mentions the, the, the Lion of Judah, it's from the book of Genesis, one of the titles used for the Messiah. And, and it says the root of David from the book of Isaiah, talking about a descendant of David who would be the Messiah King. These are strong messianic terms here, but... Our strong Messiah comes to us like a lamb. He comes to us as a humble servant. John says, I turned and looked, I saw a lamb, but this is not an ordinary lamb. He conquered guilt by entering a dark, sinful world and, and living a flawless life. He conquered the evil one by resisting his most enticing temptations all alone in the desert. He conquered sin by taking on death itself, even death on the cross. And he conquered mortality by rising to life from the grave. And then after all of this conquering, that he, of all things, he transfers his victory to you. That is good news. Paul writes, who shall separate us from the love of God? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No. In all these things, we are more than what? Conquerors through him who loved us. Now look, we all need to face the reality that each and every single one of us is going to die. It's going to happen, right? But the good news, for, every, for anyone who dies in Christ, it is not a day of defeat. It's a day of celebration because we will finally be with our greatest source of joy. A day is coming when we will be with King Jesus in the flesh. And his kingdom will be complete one day in all of its fullness, 
All of the wrongs will finally be made right and we will live the life that we have longed for and we will live it every second of every day. No more tears, no more heartache. Our joy will be full. This is your inheritance. It is a done deal. Jesus said it is finished because our king has conquered all things through his death and resurrection. So Jesus says to John, this old man that is weeping in prison and he, he says to struggling churches whose people are being persecuted and martyred. And Jesus says to all who labor and are heavy laden, something better is coming because I am victorious. See, this is what gives you the peace and the courage you need to live in this broken world. This is what gives you the peace and the courage to totally reprioritize your life for the sake of God's kingdom. This is what gives you the peace and, and, and courage to, to share the good news of who Jesus is to, to anyone who will listen. Because King Jesus is worthy. Now this ends with one of the best pictures in worship in all of scripture. Verse 11, John says, Then I looked, and I heard around the throne, and the living creatures, and the elders, the voice of many angels numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands singing with a loud voice. That, if you do the math, adds up to millions. Just a sea of magnificent angels just blowing out their voices to worship the lamb that was slain. Man. Verse 13, I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them singing. You know, in our broken world, what we hear now are bitter words and hypocrisy and hype and deceit and spin and arrogance and bragging. All of that nonsense is silenced and in its place will be a song of inexpressible beauty sung by the church and the angels and all of creation. You are worthy. And in the midst of all of this worship, this powerful worship stands a lamb who was slain. Two more brief details, okay? And we'll be done. Verse 8, when he had taken a scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp. And some commentators say that the harps here represent the idea that our hearts will be so full that, that words just won't cut it. Sometimes the spoken word is not capable of conveying the joy and the gratitude and the adoration and the wonder in the human heart. And finally, not only are there harps, there are golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. Now, who are the saints? That's us. We're in this. 
What John is saying, as unbelievable as it seems, is that our worship today is part of the praise of heaven right now in ways we don't fully understand. What we do right now is part of cosmic worship. We're not just showing up to sing a few songs that we may or may not like. I think they're all awesome because they all focus on who Jesus is and what he has done. And when we sing together and worship together, we are part of cosmic worship. And in this moment, when we worship Abraham and Moses and Jeremiah and Mary and John, who is not crying anymore, are praising God. And so is maybe your mom or your dad or someone you know or love that has gone on before you. In the midst of all of that, there is a golden bull with infusion church written on it, maybe one with your name written on it. And John says, it is full and it becomes part of the praise of heaven. This just blows my mind. I'm gonna put one last scripture on this screen, and I want you all to read it with me and so, loud enough so I can hear you because I'm getting old. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever, and the four living creatures said, Amen, and the elders fell down and worshipped. This is God's word. Believe it. Be encouraged and worship the lamb that was slain, the lion of Judah, the king who has conquered all. He is worthy, so worship him. Amen? Amen. Would you bow your heads with me?